This is Secrets to Win Big, your roadmap to sustained growth. Brought to you by Arjun Sen, founder and CEO of Zen Mango, top brand growth driver and a former Fortune 500 executive who has been called one of the most marketing intelligent minds in the business. Find him at zenmango.com. And now, here's your host, Arjun Sen. Welcome to Secrets to Win Big with Arjun Sen. Hi, this is Arjun. And today, I'm really fortunate to have an incredible conversation, which I'm really looking forward to, with Bill Santana Lee, the co-founder and CEO of Nightscope, a company focused on reducing crime in America with robots. He's a veteran entrepreneur, a former executive at Ford Motor Company. He's also the founder of Greenleaf, a company that grew to the, become the world's second largest automotive recycler. Welcome to Secrets to Win Big Bill. Thanks for having us. Good to see you. Absolutely. My pleasure. So, Bill, you know, fascinating journey, Ford Motor Company, and since then, second largest automotive recycler. In this country, in this, sorry, in this career that you have had, if you look back from a 50,000 feet, what are some of the biggest wins that you're most proud of? Uh Probably Nightscope, I think, would be one of them. Um, you know, the probabilities of founding a company, getting it funded, growing it, taking it public on NASDAQ, and then in the same year buying a company, mm. that usually doesn't really happen. You know, 95% of startups fail. I live here in Silicon Valley. There's 20-odd thousand startups, and, you know, a significant majority never make it. Um, so for the last, uh, this April will be our 10th year anniversary, and I'm certainly most proud of that. I think second, um, the time at Ford Motor Company was awesome. It was a wonderful training ground. I, if you look at my LinkedIn profile, I look unemployable during that time there because I had, I don't know, 12 different jobs in, in 10 years on four continents, every functional area, and I just kept kind of getting moved around a lot. And, uh, you know, I was probably at 28, I was the youngest senior executive uh, at Ford Worldwide. At the time, the, the company was much larger, 430,000 employees. And uh, certainly proud of my time there and, and grateful for uh, the opportunities to learn about design, about engineering, about finance, market research, manufacturing rationalization, product development, uh, a lot of mergers and acquisitions. I had bought 22 companies in 11 months. Um, so there's a, a great deal of learning in a very short period of time. So one thing, you know, I just want to ask you, what you shared is very fascinating that 95% of startups don't make it. In that particular world, for you to take that one startup within one year to that level, what were some of the big things that defined success in a world but there's only 5% chance of success. Uh, what I often caution or try to get founders to understand is you need to pick something that you're deeply, deeply, almost irrationally uh, behind that you really want to force to happen because a life of a founder is, is miserable. It's brutal. Every day you're told no. Um, I, I often joke the, the founder's diet, the diet is comprised of 
uh, getting punched in the face for breakfast, kicked in the stomach for lunch, body slammed for dinner. And then you got to wake up the next morning with a big smile on your face, get on the camera and, you know, go back at it again. And you've got to be able to fall in love with, be irrational about something that you really want to force to happen because everyone is going to tell you no along the way. You're going to hit brick walls. People are going to put banana peels all over uh, your path. And you got to be able to do sometimes the dumb, stupid, irrational, highly illogical things to make sure that you can keep going. And if you pick something that you're like, ah, it's kind of my hobby. I, I, I don't know if it fails, it fails. So what? Like, you're going to fail. If you pick something that like, I don't care what you tell me, you keep telling me, no, I'm going to show you how wrong you are. The likelihood you're going to make it is, is a bit higher. I love that. And as you were describing the founder's diet, to me, I was thinking about that scene from Monty Python. When the knight says, it's just a flesh wound after losing an arm and a leg already. <laughs> and I love that. I also love the fact that you, what you talked about is that commitment. And that also takes me back to how Vikings used to burn their boat once they got to a new land, because going back was not an option. And really love the way you connected that. Going back to Ford, what was, you know, you talked about the amazing experience there. Is there one thing that you can take from there that has set Bill up for future success that was very important that you got from Ford? Um, yes, and it has to do with the trick question I usually ask when I interview someone. <laughs> um, it's typically around the, hey, if you want to build an unbelievable company, like something super special, not, you know, something great, but like something extraordinary. What's the most important functional area that you must optimize? Is it finance? You have the best financial team. You have the best customer service team. Uh, the culture is the most important. Your engineering team, purchasing, marketing has to be stupendous. Like what is the one ingredient? And nine out of 10 people will pick a functional area and go optimize it. Mm -hmm. And that is the wrong answer. That is the equivalent of asking a race car driver, please tell me, is the steering wheel more important or less important than the brakes? Mm. It's, it's kind of an idiotic question. You kind of, you need the whole thing to work as a system. And unfortunately, corporate America and our education system, we build functional experts, right? You, you hiring as the buyer, you become a supervisor in purchasing, then that you're in the manager in purchasing, then you, I don't know, become the director. Maybe you hang out in finance for a year. You come back to be the executive director of purchasing. Now you're the vice president of purchasing. Your ability to actually think cross-functionally, run a, a company or build one is all about zero because you're there to optimize your purchasing activity. And we do not build enough systems engineers or systems thinkers to go, you know, actually to build a company, um, you're trying to solve 127 simultaneous equations that are dynamic in nature and are changing every week. And you're going to optimize marketing this week, and you might have to optimize capital formation the next week, mm -hmm. but you're never going to be optimizing one single thing um, at a given time uh, for a consistent, you know, layer of, 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 uh, of periods. 
So I, I think because I jumped around at Ford so much, I got to really, you know, I got, kept getting promoted or double promoted and I get seeing parts of the company from different angles, like literally in some cases across the pond. Um, and that taught me or reinforced that same sentiment of you kind of need to think about the whole thing. And mm -hmm. if you're really good, you can move the chess pieces around to get the victory that you need. Think about the whole thing. I love that. And you're totally right. As we go through the vision or view from my side or my function becomes so important that we sometimes don't even realize that there are others in the organization looking at the same thing totally differently. Yep. And great learning. You know, as you're talking about the big picture, for you to have this kind of success, you, as you mentioned earlier, had to really lock into something that you're deeply behind irrationally you know, connected to. How do you stay focused? Because you know, it's so easy to get so many shiny objects on the way. How do you stay focused on your passion in your journey? Are there any secrets there? Probably two. Uh, first, you need to have an ability to say no sometimes politely, sometimes impolitely, but you got to be able to look an investor in the face and go, nope, you can write that check, but we're not going to do what you're asking or tell a board member no, or tell a teammate no, or tell a vendor no. Um, and you often need to say no more often than, than yes. Um, and, or be careful what you say yes to, and it has to be aligned with your end goal. You know, we build robots. We're not a robotics company at Nightscope. We, we build autonomous security robots to see if we can make the United States of America the safest country in the world. And people are like, oh, well, you build robots. You should build us a robot for our kitchen. Hmm. And it's like, uh, or the hospital. And it's like, how is that going to secure the country? Hmm. Or you need to come to Tokyo. You need to deploy in, in Tokyo at the Tokyo Olympics or what have you. Like, oh, first of all, what's the crime rate in Japan? Oh, almost zero. Excellent choice. Second, um, we're, our mission is to secure the US. Why would I be spending time in Tokyo? Well, there's millions of dollars here. Yeah, no. And I've had to say no to Dubai, to South America, to South Africa, to China, to Japan over and over again. And it's very painful discussions because you know, that person doesn't want to hear that. Um, but I, I've worked on four continents. I kind of know what it takes to, to do it. And the likelihood of, of a BTE or business terminating event is, is high. Like you're going to, you know, it looks really pretty in a PowerPoint, but then you have to actually execute. I think the second thing is kind of where's the genesis of the idea that you're focused on? For me, securing the US, well, it's personal and professional. The personal side is as an ex automotive executive, I think autonomous technology is going to really turn the world upside down. Mm -hmm. I'm in violent disagreement as to the path to commercialize said technology. I think you need a crawl, walk, run approach, as I've been saying for the last decade, and it's panned out. The, you know, are you shuffling around in a self driving car and there everyone's scaled uh, self driving vehicles? Like $100 billion has gone into the sector, no one's shipped anything. Hmm, I wonder why. Maybe because you shouldn't do the dumb engineering problem in the first place, which is try to do the most difficult thing first. 
Hmm. And maybe you need to try to get things to work at a few miles an hour before you start trying to go much faster or, or, or be more thoughtful as people are now starting to realize that you need to geofence things. Uh, so engineers can actually optimize something with some constrained boundary conditions. Mm-hmm. But I, I think the, the thing that really motivates me is I was born in New York City. Someone hit my town on 9-11. Mm. I'm still profoundly pissed off about it. And for the rest of my life, I'm dedicating to better securing our country. And no one is going to tell me no. And so I've already dumped a decade of, of my life into getting Nightscope off the ground along with our awesome team. And the same founding executives that were there in 2013, the same management team that's here now, we're not going anywhere. Um, and for the next decade or two, we're going to keep pushing until we achieve what we set out to do. You know, as you are sharing, the things that really hit home for me is one, the clarity of your business vision, robots, preventing crime, keeping the country safe, and the geographic domain is U.S. And you know, I was thinking of asking you, how do you say no so confidently? And as you discussed, I got it that you, or if I worked for you or anybody else, gets that clear clarity what we are doing. And I really think, as you also described, I also realized when you say no so clearly, your yeses also come through with more from the heart because that's such a powerful concept. I think the one of, you know, we talked about startups failing 95% of the time. And part of it is you're the chief executive officer, but you're kind of the chief risk officer mm-hmm. for that amount of failure. Mm-hmm. You need to be eliminating risk, not adding more. Mm-hmm. And people, you know, look at things and go, oh yeah, you should export. You should do, okay, great. Have you ever done that job before? Have you ever done an import export analysis? Do you know about tariffs? Do you know about setting up independent legal entities and the governance structure? Do you understand the insurance requirements? Oh, great. We have to now have a separate audit to handle that. Who's going to do the transfer pricing? Like, you got to think through how to actually do this, Mm -hmm. right? And large, massive corporations, including Ford Motor Company, you know, with billions and billions of dollars of resources struggled to operate globally, right? Mm -hmm. And so... The young startup with minimal uh, uh, resources is, should go take that on uh, as a good first assignment. Like, sorry, you you, you don't you, you don't have the luxury to uh, pontificate on a PowerPoint and then not be able to actually execute. And we have you know right before the public listing, we had raised over one hundred twenty million dollars from thirty five thousand investors, and our commitment to them for the long term is that we will. Um, work to build these technologies to give officers and guards uh, really smart eyes and ears for them to do their jobs much more effectively. And we have an opportunity over the long term to build up possibly a $30 billion company that happens to look like a defense contractor, but is more focused on our on activities on our own soil. And we're you know pretty much focused on that and, and continue to, to grow the company and deliver on that promise. Fascinating. You talked about team. You talked a little bit about the one question you always ask, and you also shared with me a lot of pride about the team that started 
from the very beginning, most of the team is still there. And they were very will... stubborn people. <laughs> so how do you find these people? Like, how do you build a team? Because to me, that's the part where CEOs succeed or fail is not what they do, but is the team. Is there any secret on finding future leaders? Oof, secrets? I don't know. I've, I've been... I've been blessed and, and very lucky to uh, surround the Night School management team um, with relentless people that are focused on the mission and are willing to endure severe levels of pain and suffering to achieve whatever needs to get done. I mean, there are teammates that, you know, if we told them like, hey, go paint the bathroom blue. Uh, and this will make the company successful. They go, what shade of blue do you want? Let's go. Right. Mm -hmm. And it, part of its attitude, uh, part of it is stamina and grit and being able to suffer through the most difficult things, get punched in the face, get, you know, get knocked down and, you know, kind of brush it off and back in the ring you go and willing to punch much, much harder. And you got to be able to do that consistently over time. And a lot, it's not, it's, it, this is not cut out. Uh, it's not for everyone. Let's put it that way. And you frankly, you know, the interview process to me is, is hilarious in a lot of cases because you might get a unanimous thumbs up. Everyone wants to hire this person or you get, you know, three dissenters and, you know, five people want to hire and three don't. And you honestly, you know, at the end of the day, you really don't know this person. Until mm -hmm. three, six, nine, 12, 15 months later, or until something awful happens, then mm -hmm. you find out who's for real, mm -hmm. right? And you'd be surprised. The, the people that you're like, I'm going to bank on that person, um, you know, are the ones the first heading out to the door, out the door because it's too hard. Um, and then the people that you're like, I don't know if they have it in them, man. People will surprise you. Step up. Okay, tell me what, what needs to get done. Let's go. And, you know, over time, you know, people reveal themselves and, and you find out who's, who's real. Love that. So is there, you know, you have worked with a lot of fascinating leaders you have learned from. Is there one leader whose name stands out who is an incredible, has an incredible impact on you? And what's the biggest thing you have learned from that person? It's funny. I get, I get this question asked of me numerous times and I never have a good answer because I don't have that one person. Mm. Um, I find probably where I gravitate is, is founders. Mm. And it, it could be, you know, obviously a, a, a Steve Jobs or an Elon Musk, but it could be, you know, John Puffy Combs or, um, or any, you know, any of the music moguls that have literally built themselves out of nothing into, you know, several hundred million dollars to, you know, the first billionaires, um, out of, out of being a musician. Um, it's, it's that person that connects and has that tenacity to kind of see things through. Um, and, you know, it, to me, it's a little funny, but a founder tip typically has a screw loose. There's, there's, you know, there's something wrong with you, right? 
to, to level the, to, to endure that level of pain uh, voluntarily and keep doing it and keep banging your head against the wall. Like there's gotta be something wrong with you. Mm-hmm. And so I, I find that fascinating and they always have founders always have a different perspective. They have a different drive. They view the world through a certain set of lenses. Um, you know, <laughs> My wife and I sometimes have a laugh, like I'm the glass half full. Sometimes she's glass half empty. She'll joke that, you know, one of her relatives is like, there's no glass. Um, and I'm, I'm the guy like, okay, let's go build the glass factory. And, and it's, it's funny. Founders just have a different perspective on, on life. Um, and that, that usually, I usually gravitate towards those stories. Yeah, and, you know, I was very fortunate during corporate days to work with Papa John's John. And one of the things he had told me when I had asked him, he said, again, he was not generalizing. He was talking about himself and he was, you know, decently aware of himself that he said, Arjun, to be a founder, you don't have to be too smart. Because if you start thinking very easily, you get distracted, look left, look right, look everywhere. It does not work. You have to keep things simple, be a bulldog, keep going forward as if that's the only path. And it was really fascinating. Yeah, it's, it's funny also be on the messaging side of things, right? Yeah. If you listen to a Steve Jobs or you watch an Elon Musk or whatever, you go pull an interview from five years ago or 10 years ago, or same for me, like I'm saying the same thing over and over again, because we're like laser focused on the same objective. So why would our message change? Mm-hmm. So now another similar question is, you have amazing experience. If there's one learning that you have to choose and take forward in your journey ahead, what would be that one thing, one thing you have learned? Jesus, I've learned a lot. Um, I I think for the audience, probably more than one uh, thing that would be helpful for me to share. I, I think some of the things that you might be planning the things you worry about, likely everything will be fine. It's the two or three things you weren't thinking about that's going to go wrong. Mm. Um, and that could be business, that could be technology development. Um, it, it could be a, a whole host of things. So you got to be prepared to swiftly change or be nimble. And you have a plan. And you know, <laughs> was a famous boxer, basically, a uh, plan's really great until you get punched in the face. Mm-hmm. that's kind of basically building a company. You can put your plan together and then, you know, all hell breaks loose and you got to be able to move quickly and make decisions. Um, we talked about surrounding yourself with great people, you know, picking uh, your, your passion, um, being careful. Here's the one I probably would give that's not as popular uh, with folks um, or often aren't told. A lot of founders are told product market fit product market fit, product market fit. That's what you need to focus on. And no one, because it's not in their financial interest, no one tells a founder capital to company fit. Did you raise the capital from the right set of investors for what you're trying to do? And, you know, venture capital is not necessarily the right answer. And in most cases, almost none of the time is the right answer. It's only a few very important use cases where it's actually extremely valuable, but for 99% of the people out there, it's the wrong place to go get the capital. Um, and a lot of folks don't 
really spend the time with founders that you need to think through where is this money coming from and what are the ramifications for you long term. Um, and I, I think that that requires some some careful thought. Yeah, and it's fascinating as you say that it's where you get money from is a marriage. You getting married to the wrong person for the wrong reason really does not allow you to blossom in your journey. Yep. yep. Especially if you do the, especially if you do the really bad thing, which is sell uh, this. I drives me absolutely crazy from a governance standpoint, selling board seats to the highest bidder in a round is horrifying to me. Yeah. Oh, because you wrote the largest check in a financing, you're qualified to sit on this person's board. Are you, do you have the right demeanor? Do you have the right skill mix? Is it the right appropriate time to even have a board in the first place? Mm -hmm. Are you going to vote your shares along your preferred uh, share route? Or are you actually going to do your fiduciary responsibility and vote in, in favor of all the shareholders and all the common and preferred at, at the same time? You know, do you have, are you able to work better well with all these other uh, potential board members? How well do you really click with the, with the, uh, with the founder. I mean, there's a lot of things that go on into deciding who should be on your board. And for you to kind of get forced into taking whoever wrote the largest check is the most idiotic, stupid, and poor way to set up a governance structure. I love how passionately you shared that because I think that passion is very important because that's a huge mistake people make. So from yeah, there, no one, no one will say that. Yeah. Right? I, yeah. Because it's, one, if you're the founder and, and you said that and you're raising capital right now, it'd be very unpopular, right? Most investors would shy away. Um, if, uh, you know, so, so what I ended up doing for nine years before the company was listed, um, I was the sole director. I refused to sell a board seat to anybody. Part of it is just practicalities. Like, you know, we're less than a hundred employees at the time. Like, that's a tiny department of Ford Motor Company. What the heck do you need a board for? I mean, seriously, mm -hmm. um, it, it costs money, it costs time. And that's sort what of, it doesn't mean you don't take advice and help and, and that sort of thing along the ways. Um, and then when I came to list the company, I was able to architect and pick the right board member with the right skill mix, mm -hmm. the right demeanor, the right collegial approach to, to working together and actually had the long-term interest of the company in mind, not a, you know, a set of preferred stock. And so if you go to nightscope.com slash board, you'll see that um, our board is approximately 40, 43, 45% uh, minority, um, 85 plus percent female. Um, and because I'm half Asian and half Latin, 100% um, diverse, right? Because the founder has the right to architect the brand architects, the technology or the product or the service, the capital formation. I, for the life of me, don't understand why a founder doesn't have the right to architect the right board at the right time with the right skill mix. And then people wonder like, why is NASDAQ and NYSC and the states like putting regulations and rules in place for CEOs to do the right thing is because the capital formation and governance setup is corrupt for startups. You know, as you talk about board positions and the importance of boards, you know, and one of the boards I'm in, 
the CFO, the CEO, and some board members, we were in a meeting, they kept presenting data trends of this is what CEOs are doing. And I keep looking at the data, and this came from very credible sources. Every quarter, things are changing. And all these guys are trying to look back and decide. And at some point, I just paused by saying, guys, with all the brains in this room, can we with 50%, even 30% accuracy, try to predict where the number will be there? Because <laughs> like, I'm trying to dress up based on yesterday's weather. Yep. Let's at least put our hand outside and say it's going to rain. Like I would rather do that because at least I tried to be ahead of the game than behind. So with this, I want to take you to the section which I really take pride called the BS section, which is brag, brag shamelessly. You have had amazing accomplishments, personal life, professional life. You have impacted a lot of people. But more importantly, I love your passion on after 9-11, you know, somebody like you with your skills and your mind committing to keep the country safe, like all of us should be grateful to you. What is one thing you want to brag shamelessly about you? It works. The robots work. The robots are here. They're going to help there. We don't work for Big Brother. The robots aren't coming here to kill you and take everyone's job and all that nonsense that the, the media likes to spew. If you go to nightscope.com slash crime, you can see a long, long list of all the positive things these robots have already done for society and we're just getting started. We helped a law enforcement agency issue an arrest warrant for a sexual predator. We helped another law enforcement agency uh, and a domestic violence abuse case. We helped uh, a security guard apprehend a thief. Like the list goes on and on and on. And for all those people who said, oh, this will never work. It's too hard. It's hardware and software. It's too complicated. Physical security uh, is not an investment thesis. You need to go away. Guess what? We got results. And they're for real. I love that. The robots work. I love that. So now let's get a little personal. If there was, you got this evite, and in this evite, you realize 16-year-old Bill is going to meet with 100-year-old Bill and you. So where do you think this amazing meeting will take place? And then what would the conversation be that day between 16-year-old Bill, 100-year-old Bill, and you? Oof. Um, at the end of the day, well, probably I would love to meet in a design studio. Um, I, I think that's probably the, the one joy of my life that I get a chance to work with our chief design officer and, and dream up new cool stuff. Um, but I only get to do that a very small percentage of my time. Um, I think the world, you know, works and runs on on three things um it's people cash and relationships and you know i didn't really start connecting with more people or ma maintaining contact or even as simple as you know being connected on on linkedin as silly as it might sound like you never know when you're gonna need something or you can help someone and you're able to kind of figure that out. And 
I didn't know that in high school and I didn't know that in college. So there's a ton of relationships that, you know, probably should have been fostered better. Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, the world is, is funny and it's all interconnected. And in a lot of cases is you can pick up the phone and, and fix something for someone or get help or get advice. Or, I mean, you never know where someone's going to land, right? You, you met a staffer in DC 15 years ago, 20 years ago, and now she's the chief of staff for a cabinet member. Like, you know, you know it, it's funny how, how the world works. Love that. So, Bill, this was a great conversation. Truly appreciate you taking time, learned a lot, great advice. And you were very kind to answer every question I had. Is there any question you have for me before we wrap up? No, other than if uh, you're interested in in learning more about the robots uh, and you've got a security problem that we can help, just go to nightscope.com slash discover. Um, We sometimes do a a roadshow for the machines to go out in the field for people to see them. And you can check out the roadshow there on our on our website. And we are the ticker symbol for uh, for Nightscope on NASDAQ is uh, KSCP. KSCP. Awesome. Thank you, Bill. Truly appreciate the conversation. Thank Absolutely. you. Absolutely. Please be safe out there. Thank you. You've been listening to Secrets to Win Big with Arjun Sen, founder and CEO of Zen Mango, top brand growth driver and a former Fortune 500 executive who has been called one of the most marketing intelligent minds in the business. To learn more, visit www.zenmango.com. Share this podcast with your friends and subscribe wherever you like to listen to podcasts. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.